Thanks for listening to our messages from Southbridge Fellowship. For additional resources and information on connecting people to Jesus for life change, visit us online at southbridgefellowship.com. Church, we got some exciting stuff happening in the life of our, our church. Adding some new elders is great, trying to connect more people to Jesus for life change. I hope you will be praying for these men and just the different things that are happening in our church. We've got a daddy-daughter dance coming up, for those of you who didn't know. So if you're a dad and you've got a daughter, I hope you're planning on uh, bringing some of your girls. Invite a friend who you know has a, little girls and, and invite them to come up here. And I know some of you are probably hesitant because you don't want people that you go to church with to see you dancing. I can understand that. I've seen some of you moving during prayer time. Praise, whatever. I get it. Um, I've had people ask me the question, like, you've got four girls. Are you bringing all four? Yeah, all four of them are coming. We're going to get wild and crazy. And so if you want to see me embarrass myself, come to the daddy-daughter dance. It'll be great. You can be a volunteer. You don't even have to have a daughter. Just come watch me be a fool. It'll be awesome. Uh, we, they climb on me in the living room. We just shake everything. Uh, we're at church. And so we shake everything uh, when we're together. And I was thinking about it this week. Like, what's the ultimate picture of freedom? Isn't it a kid dancing? I think about how free they are in that. And I have a friend uh, who has sent me a picture or a video of his daughter. She actually goes, this isn't like a viral video I'm going to play for you, but it's a video of a, a young lady who goes to our church. She's five years old. Her name is Kendra. This is Kendra Furlow. And I'm going to play a little video for you here. That's awesome, huh? How about that freedom? And the song's perfect too, right? Because isn't that what happened? Remember when you were five and the music came on and nobody had to teach you any moves? You didn't have to have any lessons. You just felt it in your bones, right? And you started to move, however that was. But then think about how dancing went for many of us. Some of you, you're just that free still. That's awesome. But some of us, what happened was as you kind of grew and evolved socially, dancing changed for you as well. So you get to middle school, right? And you're still jumping around, and you're excited in middle school, but you're kind of watching out of the corner of your eye. Is everybody else jumping around? Other people doing this? Then eventually you get to high school. High school, you, some of you went to, I don't dance, I just slow dance. And slow dance was you just get close to somebody. Now, if you ever dance with one of my girls, young men, it's like you're dancing like this, okay? But you're dancing, and your feet are moving a little bit, but you're really just walking around slowly with each other as the music's playing. You're not really dancing. Then you get to be my age, and someone invites you to a wedding, right? And there's a bunch of people that are up, they're moving around, but you don't know what to do, so your feet stopped moving. But the music's going, so you like move your hips a little bit. It's a little bit of snapping. You got these things hanging off your body, you don't know what to do with them, but you're just kind of there. You can still feel it in your bones. Let me ask you this question What happened to our freedom? Where did it go? And then I thought to myself, what a metaphor for life. Because so many of us live in so much bondage, bondage to what other people think about us, bondage to fear, bondage to sin, of course. Some, we can talk blatantly obvious, like pornography and alcohol and drugs and pills and all kinds of stuff. Bondage to fear, bondage to uh, just the idea that somebody might really know us. Bondage to debt. We talked about money last week, bondage to money as a whole. And today we're going to talk about a topic that I think holds many people in bondage. 
But the topic we're talking about, it's interesting for me to be able to preach this passage to you because there's, there's weeks, like last week, I know some of you have financial freedom, you're super generous, and you love the Lord, it's clear from your money, and so it only applies to like some of us here, that message. Or we talk about community, and, and some people really lack community, but there's some people who are in like deep, authentic community, and so the message only applies to like part of the body. Today's message, I know for sure, applies to 100% of us. Today we're talking about forgiveness. And there's not a person here who doesn't need to be forgiven and there's probably not a person here who doesn't have someone you need to forgive. You've just lived long enough that there's been wrongs, there's been things that have happened. And as I was thinking about this week's message, I was driving in the car on, on Friday and I had my new glasses on, I wear glasses, I don't usually wear them when I preach, but I wear glasses. And I had, I had gotten these glasses when I ordered them, there was a feature for the lenses that I thought would be great for me because I spent a lot of time looking at a computer screen and they had these lenses that said it was going to protect your eyes when you're looking at a computer screen all the time. So I got them. I put that on there. I'm wearing these things. I'm wearing it in social events. I'm wearing it reading. I'm wearing it driving my car. But then one day I'm sitting in my office. I'm looking at a notepad, and it was white notepad. Like, and it wasn't one of those legal ones that are yellow. And I was like, this has a yellow tint. Why does this notepad have a yellow tint to it? And then I looked, and I'm like, it doesn't. It's the glasses. And I didn't realize it, but everything I had been seeing in my life was going through these lenses this tint, and I thought about how many of us have learned to live with unforgiveness, and we view all of life through that lens. We don't realize it. And my hope today is that some of you will see there's another way. In fact, it's the only path to freedom. And so today's message is called Free to Forgive. And we're going to look at a passage of Scripture as we wrap up our parable series in the book of Matthew. It's the first book in the New Testament, Matthew, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the first books. Matthew is the very first one. Matthew chapter 18 is where we're going to be today. If you have a Bible, please join me there. We'll put verses on the screen if you're, you're new to church here. But if you come here regularly, I hope you bring a Bible because you're not supposed to just believe everything I say. You're supposed to test it based on what the Word says, and so you've got to have the Word to look at it. And so I hope you have a copy of the Scriptures with you if you regularly attend. Matthew chapter 18 is where we're going to be today. And I'm going to read to you, it's a pretty famous story. And it starts in verse 21, it goes through verse 35, but what happens a lot of times when people come to this passage, they forget the context. And the context is Jesus has been telling His disciples how to live in relationship with one another as believers in a community with one another. And so in chapter 18 and verses 1 through 4, He says, and I think it's so great, we saw that video, He says, no one can even go to heaven unless you become like a child. No one enters the kingdom of God unless you become like a child. That doesn't mean you're free the illustration we're using today, it means you're dependent. It means great humility. And then he talks about sin and causing each other to sin and, and how we're supposed to care for one another. And verses 15 through 20, right before what I'm going to read to you today, is how to reconcile a relationship within the community of believers. And the answer is not, because some of you, when we get to application at the end of this message today, might be thinking, I just need to let, let it go. I just need to be over. This is go to that person and confront them in their sin because you care for them, not to prove you're right, not to get them to pay their penance, go to them, confront them in their sin. But if they don't repent, bring a brother, bring two, come to them so they can be witnesses, not of the wrong that was done, but how the response is when the person's called to repent. And then and if they still don't respond, then bring it, make it more public. And it says bring it before the church here, but the church didn't even exist yet. And Jesus is saying, when you're living in this, what's going to happen in the church? And we don't know if that means the Sunday morning service, it means small, but it's somehow more public than what it was before. I said, what do they still don't? It says, treat them like a tax collector. That doesn't mean to shun someone, by the way. Think about how Jesus interacts with tax collectors. He's, winning, he's wooing them to himself. We're trying to win these people to Christ. But 
It does mean treat them like they're not a Christian. Why? Because they're acting like they're not a Christian. They're probably not a Christian, and you're doing them the best service you can possibly do. Now, in light of that, then Peter comes to Jesus and says, okay, what if they come back? And then they do it again. And I think he asked a question that everyone here who's ever been wronged has asked before. How many times do I forgive? How frequent? Am I a fool? And some of you have like a three-strike rule. Some of you, it's one and done. Like, you're out. Like, I get it. And Peter's wondering that. And so look what he says, Matthew chapter 18, verse 21. And then Peter came up and said to him, to Jesus, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Some of your translations say 70 times seven. Therefore, and here he starts to tell his story, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. That's pretty harsh. So the servant fell on his knees imploring him, have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me, and I will pay you. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? He refused. And he went and he put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. And they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And and should should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger his master delivered him to the jailers. Some of your translations say torturers. That's more literal. Until he should pay his debt... So also my heavenly Father, this is scary, will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. There's a lot of stuff that the Bible says that if you forget all the preacher talk you've heard and all the platitudes that you've heard that go with it, a lot of verses that talk about forgiveness that if you just listen to what they said, they'd be shocking. Some shocking in an amazing way. 1 John 1, 9, if you confess your sins, he's faithful, just, will forgive you your sins, cleanse you of all unrighteousness. There's not an unrighteousness that's excluded. All unrighteousness. That's shocking stuff. Then you get to a passage like this. If you don't forgive, you're not forgiven. Shocking stuff. But it comes at the heels of this passage, and so we'll get to that verse at the end here. This, this amazing story. People love this story. This story would have been shocking then. See, nowadays what's shocking is the context, verses 15 through 20. That would have been normal back then. Now it's like, that's, oh, I'd sue you if you ever tried to do that to me. Like that, just the litigation, self-centered society that we live in now. And, but in this story, we've domesticated it. We've kind of stripped it down, watered it down from what it is. Like everybody's cool is what we think it means. Think about this story and what's happening here. The whole thing is, is answering a question. How did it start? Peter comes. Peter's got a question we'd all have. How many times should I be wrong? Like, am I an idiot? Like, if I'm a fool, if I just keep getting wronged, like, what, when do I draw the line? And here's what Peter is doing. Because a lot of times preachers make a big deal about the numbers that are used here. That's not the point. Peter thinks he's being like super generous. Because based on some verses in Amos, the rabbis then taught you forgive someone three times, the fourth time you stop forgiving them. And so Peter comes in and like think of like a proud kid who's going to ask a question and thinks they've got like the answer. It's like, Jesus, here I come. He's like, 
Jesus, how many times? Seven? Like seven times? And then some of your translations say 70 times seven is 490 times. Some of your translations say 77 times. The point is not this. Start marking it down five times, seven times, 71, 75. Here we come, 78. Maybe it's the NIV, 491. I'm done. That's not the point. And what we oftentimes miss is we get caught up in talking about these numbers and how big the numbers are and whether it becomes a habit and like all that kind of stuff. Think about the question. Peter shows his problem just by the very question he asks. First of all, think about the pride. Peter makes the assumption he's going to be sinned against. Why doesn't he come to Jesus and say, how many times should my brother receive me back when I sin against them? How can we always put ourselves in the place of the person who's been wronged? It's pride. But the bigger problem is the fact that he's counting. Why are you you keeping the ledger? You know what it shows? It shows that he doesn't understand grace. That's the real problem. And so then Jesus tells this story to reveal that we should be amazed by grace. Let me tell you something. If you want to be free to forgive, you must be amazed by grace. If you want to be free, real freedom to be able to forgive people countless times, and I could talk to you about unlimited and get into a habit, all stuff, but if you want real freedom, you must be amazed by grace. We sang the song, Amazing Grace. Can I ask you this simple question? Are you amazed by grace? Don't answer yet. Don't answer yet. Keep it in your mind. Think about things that are amazing to you. When have you been amazed? In your life, like what has been amazing? Maybe you've seen something. I came out this week. I think it was Wednesday night, Wednesday afternoon, like three o'clock. I don't know how many of you were in North Raleigh at that point, but there was, it was like there was a thunderstorm coming in, there was no rain, and the sky, part of it was blue, part of it was like this dark gray, and I went outside, and the sky lit up with lightning, and for like a few seconds, there was no thunder. It was, just, it was, just a, it was an, literally an amazing sight. Some of you here, you have kids who play video games. How many of you have kids that play video games? You have kids that play video games? Do you ever get in a fight with your kids about their video games, right? Like you bought them this system. You paid money out of your own work to be tortured, okay? Just letting you know what you've done here. But then you say to them things like, would you do your homework? No more video games. Or go make some friends. Or go play outside. You can't, this is not like, it's not going to help you in life. It's not a skill for life. Stop playing the video game. I saw that, I don't know if you've heard of this video game or not, so don't send me emails about how horrible it is or whatever. Maybe you don't want your kids. Some of you followed your kids. Some of you think it's a great thing. Fortnite? Yeah, all right. Everybody here knows Fortnite. Got it. Some of you might be playing right now. I think you're reading your Bible. All right, gotcha. <laughs> they had a tournament. The, the home base for Fortnite is Kerry. They had a tournament, a worldwide tournament, international deal. Had different countries involved. Uh, they ended up whittling down to a top 100 people. Top kid won. He's 16 years old. Kid won. $3 million. Can you imagine him coming home to his mom? You said, I, you said this isn't something I could do with my life. Here's a $3 million check, mom. <laughs> Would you not be amazed if your kids gave you $3 million from playing a video game? And do you know what the kid wanted? I just want a new desk. (laughs) Okay, mom and dad will take care of the rest of that for you. (laughs) Wouldn't you be amazed? Or sometimes you see these videos online of like somebody's out on a kayak and a bunch of dolphins come up. Or think about the most, think about a child being born. Like what amazes you? Then let me ask you this question. Because I'm not asking you if you understand the concept of grace. I'm not asking you if you can define grace. I'm not asking you if you can tell a story about grace. I'm going to ask you if you're saved by grace. I think many of us know that it's by grace through faith, not of works. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, you can quote that. But are you amazed by grace? Because if you're not amazed by grace, this story's for you. Because Peter wasn't gripped by grace. He wasn't amazed by grace. He still thought it was based on what he would do. 
Like, how many times do I need to? What do I need to do? And so think about that in light of the, the, all that we're going to read in this passage, that we've already read in this passage, and that Jesus tells this story, the kingdom of heaven. Let me tell you what the rule and reign of God is like. It's like a king. And this king decided to call people to account. And then he gives an example of one guy. He calls them in, and, and we miss the thrust of some of this because we don't understand the measurements that are being used here. He says he had a debt of 10,000 talents. Look at verse 24, 10,000 talents. That doesn't mean that the guy had a lot of gifts. A talent was not your abilities. It was a weight. It actually wasn't a, a, an amount of money. It was a weight. And so a talent, just to put in perspective of what this is being said here and how you'd hear this if you were one of the original listeners, all of Palestine, all their tax revenue equated to, in one year, 800 talents. A talent is about 75 pounds of silver. It'd be worth about 6,000 denarii. 6, 000, that's 6,000 days' wages. So you can think about that. Some of you math people here, different scholars talk about how this breaks down, and actually when you start looking at it, is it 16 years, 20 years? Let's just call it 15 years. It's 15 years' worth of money. So think about how much you make in a year as a household, round that number to whatever, up, down, whatever you want to do, then multiply that times 15, that's one talent. So if you make, say, $50,000 a year as a household, and you multiply that, you got $750,000 for one talent. What did it say here? How many talents does this guy owe? Go ahead, tell me. 10,000. Okay, so 750,000 times 10,000 equals, math teachers, anybody? $7.5 billion is this guy's debt. So if that guy makes $50,000 a year, how many years does that take? Let me tell you, it's 150,000 years to pay this debt back. See, you want to be amazed by grace. You need to realize the magnitude of your forgiveness. This, this guy has an unforgivable debt. I was thinking about that this week, and I looked up online. Have you heard everyone, you know, somebody does a terrible crime, and they get multiple life sentences? Like, what is that all about? Like, you only have one life. But I was reading, and I was reading through the list. There's, if you go to Wikipedia, there's like a list of like who's gotten the most life sentences, and there's some serial killer. There's one serial killer who killed 11 people, had 11 life sentences. There was another person, he was a healthcare provider, recently it was in the news in the last, last five or so years, uh, had killed 40 people intentionally as a healthcare provider by being negligent on purpose. 19 life sentences. Have a, one guy that works for the FBI was a spy for Russia. Multiple life sentences. You know who had the most? Had the most think about like the worst criminal you could ever think. Jeffrey Dahmer was on the list, he wasn't the most. You know what the worst criminals you can think of? So a guy named Terry Nichols has the most ever. Some of you may remember that name if you were alive in the, the mid-90s. It's the Oklahoma City bomber. Killed 161 people, has 161 life sentences. Well, the guy's not going to live 161 lives. What's the point of that? Here's what's being communicated. You're never getting out. You're never going to pay. You can't pay it back. That's what's happening here. We don't know what this guy did. But you owe 150,000 years of your life. And did you see, his, see what he said? He doesn't get it. You understand he doesn't truly grasp the magnitude of his forgiveness. Now he goes to the only option he has, he falls on his knees and he begins to beg. But he says, be patient with me. Okay, 150,000 years patient? Some of us don't even want to wait in the express line, right? 150,000 years? Like this guy doesn't grasp, he doesn't grasp the weight of his sin. 
But he's begging. And then the, look what the, the king does, the master does in this passage. He says, have pity on him. Have pity on you. And he gives him mercy and grace. Mercy is like, wow, this is an amazing story. Grace makes this story scandalous. So the original lister, like, we just kind of watered this down. Mercy, just so you know what mercy is, mercy is when you do not receive what you deserve. So mercy is that he doesn't get the punishment. He's not going to be sold into slavery. And that would have only paid like a, a thousandth of what he owed anyways. Like, the king's not getting his debt back here. Here's grace. Grace is when you're given what you do not deserve. Grace is, not only is this man told to go free, but he doesn't have to pay the debt. Let that sink in for a second. And then ask yourself this question, then who pays? Because here's what we typically do with grace, and this is how we've made this story cheap, is we think we just ignore it. We just let it go. Just look the other way, sweep it under the rug. That's, that's not... That's not the point of the story, and that's not grace. And if that's your view of grace, no wonder you're not amazed by grace. Many of you saw, I'm sure most of you probably, if not everybody, the tragedy that took place in El Paso a couple weeks ago. And what ends up happening in that situation, there's a racist guy who goes to a Walmart in El Paso, Texas, and starts killing people, starts shooting them. Uh, but oftentimes, what we, what we see is we see like these numbers, like 20, it was 20 people at one point were killed, 22 I think was the, the, the number that they ended up saying was total people that were killed in that situation. Oftentimes, miss the people that are involved. There was one couple that went, a young couple, they've been married for a year, uh, Andre and Jordan were their names, Andre the husband, Jordan's the wife, and they were going to Walmart that day because they had just dropped their six-year-old daughter off, it was her birthday, and they were going to buy some stuff for her birthday party, a housewarming party, and to celebrate one year of marriage together. And they went to this Walmart, and then they hear gunfire, right? And then I didn't see the video. That video hasn't been released, but the story that I read was surveillance camera caught what happened was that Andre ran towards the shooter. He got shot. Bullet went through him and also went into his wife, Jordan. But Jordan was laying on top of their two-month-old baby, Paul and saved Paul's life. The police said when they pulled the baby out from underneath mom that Paul, the baby, was still covered in the blood of the mother. Minor injuries for the baby, but the mom sacrificed her life, and the dad sacrificed their life so the baby could live. Now, who paid? Somebody paid so that baby could have life. Oh, yeah, it's good, everybody's good. Who pays in this story? Who pays in this story? Let me tell you who pays. The king pays. The king doesn't just go, oh, forget it. We're, where did the, all that, like how, how did you even build up that kind of debt? What did you do? The whole, all of Palestine only gets 800 talents a year. You've got more than the national revenue in just your debt. The king's, I'll pay. Do you know what, do you know what your king did? I'll pay. Grace isn't that God just looks the other way. It's for God so loved the world that he gave his son for you. And his son did what Jordan did, willingly laid his life down and shed his blood so that you could be forgiven. The only way you're forgiven is by the blood of Jesus Christ. Grace isn't just that God decided not to look at your sin. See, that your sin was unpayable. It was a debt you couldn't pay. It was a, a, a gap that you couldn't cross. 
And Jesus Christ paid that debt. He didn't just say, I'm not going to give you the punishment. I'm not going to punish you in hell for all of eternity. But I'm going to give you something. I'm going to give you forgiveness. I'm going to give you eternal life. That's grace. Are you amazed by grace? I thought about this week. What are some reasons why we're not amazed by grace? And there's probably a lot of them. I'll give you three today as you reflect on this and think about it. One is this. We underestimate the weight of our own sin. We underestimate the weight of our own sin. And of course, that's going to lead us to not be amazed by grace. Think about the, the story that, of Jesus when he's in Luke chapter 7. And you can read this on your own later. But in Luke chapter 7, Jesus goes to have a meal at a guy's house. The guy's name is Simon. Simon's a religious guy. He's the kind of guy that people would look to as a leader if he lived here in Raleigh. A Christian leader. Moral, good businessman, leader in the community. And he has Jesus over for a meal. But he doesn't love Jesus. He doesn't even love God. And it's evident. If you asked him, do you love God? He'd say, yeah, I love God. Are you a believer? Yeah. Where are you going to go when you die? I'm going to go to heaven. I believe in God. But then while they're having this meal, this woman comes in. You can ask all kinds of questions about this woman. She's probably a prostitute. We don't know for sure. She's definitely got a reputation. How did she know to find this guy's house? We don't know. But she's there. And she sees Jesus, and she becomes overwhelmed with her sin. And she begins to weep. And as tears start to hit Jesus' dusty, dirty feet, she gets down and she starts to wipe his feet with her hair. It's a respectable woman. She wouldn't even take her hair down in public, but she, she does. She's just trying to, to love Jesus, and she's overwhelmed that her Savior is sitting right there. And then Simon, the religious guy, thinks to himself, if Jesus were really a prophet, if he were really a rabbi, if he was really who he says he is, he'd know what kind of woman this is. He didn't say a word. I love this about Jesus. Jesus responds to people in their thoughts. And so, let me just read you what it says in Luke chapter 7 in that passage. We'll put it up on the screen. Luke chapter 7, it says in verse 39, second part of verse 39, it says, if this man were a prophet, this is Simon, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who's touching him, for she's a sinner. How do you know, Simon? And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, <laughs> this is awesome. I know what you're thinking right now, so I'm just going to talk to you about it. Simon, I have something to say to you. Oh, okay. And he answered, say it, teacher. A certain moneylender, he tells a story. Isn't it, often, isn't it interesting how oftentimes Jesus uses money and debt as an image for sin? A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed him 500 days' wages and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will, interesting question, not owe him more, which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one I suppose, I mean, I guess this is the answer, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And Jesus said to him, you've judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? <laughs> Everyone saw that woman, by the way. I entered your house, you gave me no water for my feet, normal custom of hospitality, just general hospitality, but she, was, she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she's not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, just general hospitality, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much, but he who's forgiven little, loves little. When you don't understand the magnitude of your sin, of course you're not going to be in love with God or amazed by grace. We underestimate the weight of our sin and the, the vast display of how huge our debt is before God. 
Not only that, we underestimate the holiness of God. We underestimate the holy character of our God. And here's the reality. If you're not amazed by God, of course you're not going to be amazed by grace. And so we make grace this cheap thing. It's everybody loves, everybody's good, everything's cool, and that's kind of what grace is to us. Grace, mercy, love, we just all kind of clump them together as these mushy words that feel good, and everybody's supposed to be happy, and so this would be nice to everybody. And that's I remember when I was in seminary, really struggling with God and His justice, and thinking from my perspective as, you know, a 20-something-year-old guy who's trying to read the Bible and figure stuff out as if I had questions that God didn't, hadn't dealt with, right? Like, isn't that arrogant and stupid? But I remember thinking, God, how, could, how is it possibly right for you to… I don't, it doesn't matter if it was like Terry Nichols, 161 people killed. How can you punish him for all of eternity? That doesn't seem right to me. It doesn't seem just. Let me tell you really why I was thinking it. Because I have people in my family that I love that are headed for a Christless eternity. And I don't want them to experience what I actually… Re- I want to believe something different than what the Bible says. And I don't want them to be in hell forever. I want them to, like, even if it was just like they were gone, just annihilated, like something, darkness, nothing, not what the Bible says. So I wrestled with God. Like, if they lie or they steal or they betray or they do something even to me, like for them to pay forever doesn't seem right. To have a sin that happened in time to be paid for for eternity, how is that okay? That's not just God. And then I realized my problem was I was looking at the actions, I wasn't looking at God. See, the heinousness of our sin isn't based on the wickedness of our actions. It's based on the holiness of our God. Get that? That's a game changer. The heinousness of our sin is not based on the wickedness of the deeds that we do. It's based on the holiness of the God that we have. Because it's not about what we're doing. It's about who we're doing it against. And so we do have sins for a time period that happen, but we're sinning against an eternal God. They are finite in what they are, but He's an infinite God. And so it is just because of his character. Now, what I want to do, what I want to do with grace is just be like, everybody's good, it's fine, just look the other way. But when I read the Bible, the God that I see in the Bible is really holy. And when people come into contact with him in the Bible, they're not like, what's up? Hey. It's Revelation chapter 1, John falls down as though dead. Isaiah, Isaiah's like, I'm sinful. Isaiah's probably one of the most righteous guys in his day. I'm a sinful man. Peter, get away from me, Jesus. I can't be by you. I'm a sinful man. You come, when you see the holiness of God, it overwhelms you with your own sinfulness. Like when I read the Bible, Habakkuk, God can't even look upon evil. Timothy, he dwells in unapproachable light. See, oftentimes we're not amazed by grace because we're not amazed by God. And one of the reasons is because we've made him so familiar. I think another reason why we're not amazed by grace we're underwhelmed by our forgiveness because of, we're too familiar with the concepts of these things. Familiarity, you've heard before, breeds contempt. Artists have a, a saying, it's called visual lethargy. When you look at something for so long, you stop seeing what's actually there. And for many of us, we can define grace. And we, we sing about grace, amazing grace, good grace. We know it's a concept that's, that we enjoy, but we're so familiar with the concept, we miss what it actually means to our hearts. Like a negative example, be like, I mentioned the El Paso shooting. How many of you, don't have to raise your hand, I'm not trying to condemn you, how many of you when you saw that shooting thought, another one, another shooting? And then you, you kind of implicitly, maybe you didn't say this, but subconsciously thought, when will be the next one? 
and, and you become familiar with it. You, just, you think about the things that I told you were positive example. The positive example would be things like, you know, see a baby be born, or you, if you're an OBGYN, and eventually it's like, all right, the babies are born every day, I have 20 of them a day, or like, however this goes, you become familiar with this miraculous thing, and it's not as amazing any longer. So you think about like that shooting. Think about that little girl. Paul, the little boy, like imagine Paul's a little boy, two-month-old boy. Can you imagine if that kid grows up and says, I'm never going to sacrifice for anybody? You're like, your parents died so you could have life. You're not going to sacrifice for anybody? It'd be ridiculous. What the little girl they dropped off? It was going to be her birthday that day, birthday party later that day. Now, every year, on her birthday, she'll remember the day that her parents, no, every day for the rest of her life, she's going to remember the day her parents were killed. And then that's going to impact how she parents her kids. So we talk about sometimes, like, these are the loved ones who lost that person. Like, that's hundreds of people. But I'm going to tell you what, if you start thinking through the ripple effect, hundreds of thousands of people are impacted by that situation. So generations. So she's going to impact how she parents her kids, and then her kids are going to be impacted by that. Like, generations are going to be impacted by this event that took place. But we become familiar with it. Don't ever become familiar with things like that tragic or God's amazing grace. See, the problem for some of us is when we think about grace, we just think about the point of our salvation. I hope you never recover from that. I hope you don't get over the fact that you were saved, that you didn't deserve to be saved. Who saved a wretch like me? Like, think about that. The words of the song, Amazing Grace, that we become so familiar with. But grace is something you need every day. You wouldn't have breath in your lungs if it wasn't for grace. Grace is not just what saved you. Grace is what sanctifies you. Grace is what glorifies you. Grace is what, you, it's the, what empowers you to do, like, forgive someone is an impossible command. Forgive as Christ forgave you, Ephesians chapter 4. You're going to forgive the way that Jesus forgave you? Really? None of us can do that. But in order for you to do that, that's grace. Grace is part of everyday life. You've got grace that enables you to fulfill commands that you could never do on your own. That's grace. You're saved by grace. You're made more like Jesus by grace. Ultimately, when you're made like Jesus, it will be by grace. It's not stuff that you do. So even when you obey commands, it's God's enabling you to do it. That's grace. Are you amazed by grace? If you're not amazed by grace, you've got no shot at obeying the command that happens in this passage to forgive other people. And so look at what happens right after this guy gets forgiven. Because here's what you need to know. People that are, that are amazed by grace, they give grace generously. People that are amazed by grace, they give grace generously. Another way to say that is this, that forgiven people forgive people. That when you're forgiven, you give forgiveness because grace has been put into your heart. Grace is what leaks out of your heart. But this guy, he, he wasn't. Look what happens next in this passage. So this guy gets forgiven, verse 28. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him 100 denarii. 100 denarii is a significant amount of money. Pause right there. Don't read the rest of the passage. I know we already read it together. Pretend like you don't know what happens next. This guy's owed thousands of dollars. If you ever hear a preacher say, he owed 10 million and, and it's like five bucks. It's not like five bucks. It's like over three months' wages. It's thousands of dollars. It's a significant debt that someone owed him. He had legal rights to go get that money. But if you read this story, and you're listening to this for the first time, this guy's just been forgiven $7.5 billion, and he doesn't go home and tell his wife. <laughs> what would you do? The first thing on his mind, Jesus wants you to know as he's telling the story is, there's this other guy who owes me money. I got to go find him. And he goes looking for this guy. And what do you expect to happen in that moment? I was just forgiven $7.5 billion. The $5,000 you owe me, we're good. Forget it. I'll eat it. 
But that's not what happens. We've read the story. You know what happens. It says that the man demanded payment. And what is forgiveness? Forgiveness is when you stop demanding payment. You stop demanding people. It doesn't mean there aren't legal repercussions, there aren't consequences. It doesn't mean if somebody has a debt to you, they don't need to pay you the money. That's what I'm talking about. But spiritually, you stop holding that person in bondage to you. You release them from that payment to you. But you know what this guy did? And this is key to understand this, because I don't want to put false guilt on anyone here who's struggling to forgive someone. Because some of you, when I talk about forgiveness, you automatically thought of a person that you haven't forgiven, that you know, that you've struggled to forgive, that's caused maybe the greatest pain in your life. So now what this passage is talking about, you might underline this word in verse 30, he refused. He is talking to, Jesus is talking to the person who won't forgive. If you've ever said this statement before, I will never forgive them, that's scary. Because verse 35 does apply to you. So I could never do that. That's not as scary because you're right. Because what we're seeing here is something supernatural that Jesus is calling for. But if you refuse to forgive, do you know what you're showing? You haven't truly received forgiveness. He says here, I re he refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servant saw what had taken place, now wait a minute, he's going to prison. He's not repaying any debt, by the way. He's going to prison forever. When his fellow servant saw that he had taken place, they were greatly distressed. Interesting, in the context of verses 15 through 20, if my brother sins against me, what do I do? Go confront him. Peter says, if my brother, and then these people, that are, they're the same as him. His fellow servants, they can't imagine. How could you do this? You've been forgiven so much. How could you not forgive? Forgiven people forgive. They were greatly distressed, and they went and reported their master all that had taken place. His master summoned and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the torturers, the jailers, until he should pay all his debt, which would be when? Let me see, you owe 150,000 years, you're making zero dollars a year, that's going to take you forever. You're never going to pay it back. It's unpayable. And then Jesus says these words, so solemn. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Now, does this mean I earn my salvation by forgiving other people? No. Does this mean that if I don't forgive people that God's going to take my forgiveness away from me? No. That's not what it's saying. This guy never grasped his forgiveness. He actually thought he could repay the debt. What this guy had was superficial, which is what the church is filled with, by the way. So this may be a warning to you. People want the benefits of forgiveness, but don't grasp what's actually being offered to them and never truly receive forgiveness. This guy never really received forgiveness. He never got it. He never grasped what was happening here. And you see it by his actions. Do you want to know if you grasp forgiveness? Will you forgive? I saw one commentator said this, it's not a condition of salvation, it's a consequence of salvation to forgive like this. It's an overflow. When grace is poured into your heart, grace comes out of your heart. J.C. Ryle, famous Bible scholar, he says it like this. He says, an unforgiving Christian does not exist. God has not made such a creature. That being is not real. Now, that doesn't mean you don't struggle with forgiveness. It doesn't mean forgiveness isn't hard. I asked on, on one of my social media platforms this week, why is forgiveness so hard? Let me get, share with you some answers. People, some of them were you. Some of you responded. Over 100 people responded, and I'll just give you a handful of them. You can look at all of them if you want later. A common theme was just pride and selfishness that people said. 
there were some things in there that were true. There were some things that people said that weren't true, according to the Bible, but um, how about this? One person said, I think most people want to get even first. That's honest. These are all direct quotes. Um, a lot of people said fear. One person, one woman said this, if I forgive, then I'm opening myself up to be hurt again. It's true. It's vulnerable. Because it keeps happening over and over. There's our question. How many times? How many times? I love the honesty of this one, though. It gives me a false sense of power to not forgive. One person said, we think that we're condoning something that really hurt us. Forgiveness isn't saying what they did was okay or was right. Remember, the reconciliation and forgiveness are different too, by the way. And so, so what do we do? Like, how do we actually do this? It goes back to the first part. You become amazed by the grace that you've received. It's not steps and tactics. Jesus is told how to reconcile, but you can't control another person. So he doesn't tell you, he's not commanding you to be reconciled with people, but you can forgive people, stop holding the debt against them. Why? Because here's what happens. You're not free. You start becoming a bondage. Anger is like one bar of the prison you build. Malice, slander, your victimhood. You want everybody to look at you. Look at how I was wronged. Look at, pay attention to me and our self-centeredness. And before, we don't even realize we're seeing the whole world through these lenses, like my glasses, these lenses of unforgiveness, and we're in bondage. You think you're holding this thing over someone else's head, and it's actually holding on to you. Be free. Forgiveness is the only pathway to freedom. Last week, I asked many of you, we did an, uh, a group event together online, and our tech team uh, put together a survey that we did, and I asked you, how many people do you know uh, that don't know Jesus? And most of you said over 20 people that were headed for a Christless eternity. We call them lost people. In the Bible, they're referred to as lost people. And at the end of the service, I said, will you put in the first name of some of those people? And many of you did. Some of you are rebels. That's fine. We love you anyways. Many of you did, and they made this word art here. One of our elders uh, was praying through this this week and texted the whole elder team and said, this is a great prayer list. And so we started praying for some of these folks. And you might see the name of the person you put up there. Some of the bigger names are because they've been entered more than once. But as I was going through this, there's a name there where somebody wrote myself. And so they were sitting in the church service and realized they were headed for a crisis eternity and they had the boldness and courage to write that down. And so if that was you, I just want to say thanks for sharing. That's bold of you. That's courageous. And I love that you actually know that about yourself. Better than being deceived like many people are and not realizing that that's the reality here. And some of you may see the names of other people uh, that you know, that you care about, or might be thinking of somebody that you wrote down. Maybe you were in a different service than this slide was. Um, but what do those people need to see in order to receive forgiveness? And some of them need to see the supernatural forgiveness demonstrated. Some of you need to forgive those people. Some of them need to see Jesus with skin on. That's you and that's me. We exist to connect people to Jesus Christ for life change. We got this message in jars of clay. We are his ambassadors. We've been commanded to go make disciples. And then we are told to forgive just as Jesus forgave us. So for some of those people that come to Christ, they need to see us demonstrating the same grace that was demonstrated to us by Jesus Christ at the cross when he willingly gave his life so that you and I could have eternal life.